What an amazing morning of worship, amen? We are so excited again to be here today to worship him. And I echo what Pastor Greg already has said that, man, we serve a God who is on his throne. And he is the lion and the lamb. He is not shaken. And I know we can be shaken by things in this world, but trust in him and you will have that peace. Um, I do want to share just quickly, uh, someone approached me and said that we found a couple keys in the parking lot from yesterday. Two things struck my mind. One, <clears throat> that's a giant parking lot. How did they see those little keys? That was, that was impressive enough. But uh, if you lost keys or if you were here yesterday and you don't have keys that you came here with, um, please see me and we'll give you these. Um, I don't know how to prove that they're your keys, so you can just have them and then have fun trying to see what they open, I guess. So we'll go from there. But it is a great morning to be here today, um, and I do want to share also how excited uh, we are to have uh, Gary and Norma Powell with us today, uh, Sandra's aunt and uncle, um, although they're really more like my aunt and uncle as well, um, and it's great to have them. Um, I should, maybe I should introduce them as Barb's sister, Norma, and her husband, Gary. That's how I should probably introduce them. Um, but no, they are uh, uh, kind of on vacation this week and celebrating uh, just their anniversary. And so we celebrate with them 31 years they've been married. And so we praise the Lord for that. Yes. So doing some traveling and they thought, what better place to go than Michigan? So um, Norma's obviously from Michigan. Uh, they are currently living in Arkansas, and Gary serves at a church there, and so we are excited to have them with us today. Um, and I said this before, I probably say it every time, so if it's first time you hear it, cool. If it's not, just act like it's the first time you've heard this. Um, it's, uh, it's amazing to me that these guys are here because they're really kind of, I, I can't say favorite of the aunts and uncles because it's on, it's on the internet. And so if any of them see it, then it causes a whole family rift. And you said they're your favorite. So they, I'm going to say they're, they're not my favorite. So they're not my favorite of them. So they know what's going on here. So, but we are excited to have them and excited to have you as well. So uh, this morning, uh, we are in week three of our study on the, the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we began this here a couple of weeks ago. If you missed any of the previous weeks, you can go online on our website or on the app. You can pull those up there. Um, and if you have any issues with that, please see me. Um, in your bulletins, there's a little kind of an insert for some notes. Um, and take, take heart, take courage. If you notice, there's a difference between the first two weeks and this week. So, yeah, Jill just got it. Jill saw it. Amen. She, she laughed. Uh, the, the last two weeks, it's been a double-sided insert. This morning, it's just one-sided. So I know what you're thinking. Man, if it takes him like 45, 50 minutes to preach two sides, we're out of here in like 25 minutes. That is not what that means. So I'm just going to let you know now, that's not at all what that means. But if you'd like to take notes, we encourage you to do so. Um, we've also had people reach out and say, hey, can I get the actual outline notes that you preach from? Um, and so we're willing to do that. I'm willing to send that to you digitally. Uh, if you want to wait till the series is over and say, hey, can I have all the notes? That uh, We do that all the time. And so if you want to do that, I'm more than willing to give you my notes directly. Uh, you can just email, message me, call me, whatever, let me know, and we can do that. So as we're in week three of our study on the person of the Holy Spirit, my prayer all along has been that you have discovered for yourself what a wonderful treasure the Spirit of God is to those of us in Christ. That the Spirit of God is truly a treasure 
gifted to us by God himself. And it's only to those who are in Christ. And we are overjoyed at the treasure and the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we've talked a lot over the last couple of years, or last couple of years, last couple of weeks about his activity in our lives, who he is as a person. And we've covered the reality that he is God. He is God. He is a member of the Godhead. There is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as I've said in weeks past, there are those under the umbrella of Christianity that deny the trinity, that say there is no trinity, that that God was a father or manifested himself as a father in the Old Testament, as the Son in the New Testament, and as the Spirit in the church. That is something that has actually been attempted to be taught in the early church. Uh, We're talking... 100s, 200s. So we're talking not too long after the church was founded. In the 300s, there was a council that got together of all these church leaders that as early as it's a couple hundred years after Christ left this earth, determined and said, that is a heresy. That is not the word of God. That our God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yet here we are in 2022, and there are still teachers, there are still churches, there are still groups, denominations that kind of propagate this idea that there is no Trinity. Listen, the Spirit is God, the Son is God, and the Father is God. Revealed in the Word of God. And we see this manifested many times. The clearest example would be the baptism of Christ while on earth. Jesus, the Son, is being baptized. The Father speaks from heaven and the Spirit descends. Three in one. So he is a person. He is God. Not only is he God, he is also the author and illuminator of the word of God. We covered this as well in the first week. He is the author and the illuminator of the word of God. He opens our minds to the reality of scripture. Without the spirit, we might understand the English. We might understand the grammar. We might understand the stories to a certain degree, but you will never see scripture the way it's revealed to the church without the spirit's indwelling presence in your life. We need the Spirit of God to understand the Word of God. And we say illuminator because the word revelation, or to say that God revealed this or that, implies that it was once revealed and now illuminated. The Word of God was revealed and revelation was given to the Apostle Paul, was given to Peter, was given to John. It was revelation. It was never before known. Now it's made revealed to us through these human authors in the Word of God. But we as receivers of the Word of God, it's already been revealed. Now the Spirit takes what he authored through those men, those individuals, and now makes us aware of those truths. So that's why we use the word illumination. Not only is he the author and the illuminator of the word of God as God himself, he is the agent of salvation in the world today, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is the one that produces in us repentance through the gospel preaching from the word of God to bring us to new life. It is the spirit of God that we are saved. We reject, as I've already said, the word of God. We don't understand it in our carnal minds. And so we hear the gospel. We can understand the historical ramifications. We can understand the content to a certain degree. But the reality of our sin, the weight of our sin, the consequence of our sin, the spirit of God convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And through that gospel preaching, now the Spirit brings to us this idea of repentance, that I need to turn from my sin and turn to Christ, refuse to continue in this sinful lifestyle, and trust in the gospel of Christ. And from the Word of God, we find this to be true. The Spirit of God works through these things to draw us to repentance, to give us 
new life, eternal life. You see, repentance is not just, I feel bad because I got caught. Repentance is not, I feel bad because I hurt your feelings. Repentance is realizing and recognizing, no, God, the Father, I've sinned against you and you alone. My sin brings death. Not in my person, it brings death, separation from God in eternity in hell if I refuse Christ. If I receive Christ, it still brought death, the death of the Son of God on the cross for you and for me. So the Spirit of God does this work in us. He renews us and regenerates us in this new life. He continues to renew us through the word and through the body of Christ. As we hear the word of God preached and we read it for ourselves and we apply it to our lives, he renews in us the right heart, the right mind, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we are renewed in our thinking by the work of the Spirit. And he does it not just through the word of God, but through the body of Christ. And this is why gathering together is so vital to our Christian health and to our maturity. That when we gather with the body of Christ and we can encourage one another, and as we did last week, be able to pray with and over one another. As we were able to pray with Bob in this diagnosis of cancer, to to lay hands on him and just pray, God, you do a work here and we trust you because you're trustworthy. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's the point, is to come together and encourage and support. And by the way, even correct one another. It's amazing to me when people disconnect from the body of Christ. It's, how, it's amazing how quickly they can get off track in understanding what God's word says, how it's applied to our lives. But when we're with the body of Christ and we're held accountable, we're encouraged, we're strengthened, and we're supported. The spirit of God renews us through the word of God and through the body of Christ. And so I say all of that as a review to say this. Let's praise the Lord for sending his spirit to us that we might have joy beyond understanding as we await his return or our home going. That he has sent his spirit to us and either he's going to return and we rejoice with him in that moment or he takes us home and we rejoice with him there. We have been given the spirit of God to comfort us, to guide us, to strengthen us, to encourage us. And so we praise God this morning for that reality. John chapter 14, we're gonna go to our text, our opening text. And what we're doing is we're kind of Going through those verses we went through in the very first series, I read quite a few verses from John. Now we're kind of going back and using those individual texts as our starting points. And so John 14, if you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats there, you just need to turn to page 757. Page 757, if you're using one of the Bibles provided. John chapter 14, and we're going to be in verse 16. John chapter 14 and verse 16. The word of God says here, And I pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that, you may ab- that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. He dwells with you and he shall be in you. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, Lord, we desire to be attentive this morning to your word, to the moving of the spirit as the spirit opens our minds and our understanding to these truths. Lord, as, as, as much as some here, maybe again, and we talked about this before, that some grew up with an emphasis on the Holy Spirit to a point of extreme, almost at the 
de-emphasizing of the Son and the Father and other disciplines. Some grew up in churches where there was no mention of the Spirit whatsoever. And so, Father, we know that when we come together and we talk about this topic, Lord, there's different backgrounds, different church traditions, ideas. But, Lord, I pray that this morning that we're not hungry for an experience, that we're not longing to, Lord, and I, I pray that it's understood what I mean here, and we're not looking to feel something in a sense of just an emotion. Lord, we want to encounter the truth of the Word of God, that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. And with that comes emotion. With that comes those senses of feeling emotion and joy and all those things that come with it. But I pray, Lord, we would begin with seeking the truth of your word and emotion may follow. Experiences may follow, but Lord, I don't want to seek an experience or seek an emotion in the hopes that we stumble across truth. So, Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom and understanding as only you can, that we would focus in on you this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening our minds and helping us to understand the word of God. Affirm these things now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Holy Spirit was sent by God to us through Christ. The Holy Spirit was sent by God to us through Christ, and he will dwell within us, Jesus says. Christ prayed the Father to send the Spirit, and he answered with a resounding yes, which we see on the day of Pentecost and moving forward through the New Testament. The Spirit was and is given to his church, but why? Again, why was the Spirit given? What benefit or blessing do we receive when we receive the Spirit? So the first week, we kind of established who the Spirit is, his person, his deity. Now we're going to kind of move into what does the Spirit do? How does the Spirit work in us? What ministries of the Spirit do we receive practically or do we have an understanding of from the Word of God? So we want to move through these very honestly, four points, really, of ways the Spirit works in us, benefits and blessings that we experience. And this is not uh, exhaustive. We're not going to get into some topics this morning. We're going to get into more next week. But I want to give you four key things we have to understand from the Word of God, why the Spirit was given to us. So the first one we want to tackle, the Spirit is given to us so that we might be indwelled. So in your notes, that first blank is indwelled. We are indwelled with the Spirit. You have two verses there, I believe, in your notes, Romans 8, 9, and 1 Corinthians 3, 16. I'm going to go to the book of Romans, and we're going to read one of those verses. So just over a couple books, if you're in John, you go through Acts, and then Romans. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. As you're turning there, Romans 8, uh, if you felt yourself maybe shaken a little by the news of the last few weeks, maybe the last few months, uh, maybe you find yourself being pulled by that temptation to get fearful uh, because whatever, gas prices, inflation, concerns about what's going to come down the road and all those things, I encourage you, read Romans 8 this week and read it again and again and again because you're going to be encouraged to realize that his love has not left you, he has not forsaken you, that the things we face in this world will not separate you from him, that in Christ, his love is secure. And in Romans 8, we read of the love that's given specifically to the church. John 3.16, God so loved the world. That's a general love. That's a call of love to all might receive the gospel. He loves his creation. Romans 8, 
is a different type of the love of God. This is a love from a father to a son. And that's who we are in Christ, a son and daughter. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, wording is very similar. And in fact, Paul uses the same prepositions and verbs here. Paul uses the preposition in and also the verb to dwell. He uses the preposition in and also the verb to dwell. And so this is important. We have to pause here and note this. This is an amazing work of the Spirit. And it is unique to the believers in the church. This idea of the Spirit dwelling in us is unique to the believers in the church. And this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. But you are not in the flesh. Now this is striking us a little interesting because we know we're still technically, right? We're in a body. So we're not absent from flesh, meaning we have skin, we have bone, we have all of those things that make up our human body. What Paul's saying is spiritually, you are no longer in the flesh, meaning you're not carnal-minded, you're not of the world, you've been born again, John chapter 3. You're born of the Spirit, that you've received new life, as we talked about last week. And now, in God's economy, in God's eyes, you are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. And why? He says, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. And some will say, well, he says, if the Spirit's in there. Well, we have to keep reading. If the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And Paul goes on to express through this that, that there is a direct correlation between the Spirit of God being in us and our salvation and relationship with Christ. That we cannot be saved and not have the Spirit of God in us. Because if that was the case, we are none of his and he is none of us. We have no relationship with Christ. But if you know Christ and you've been born again by faithful believing in the, the gospel, just repenting of your sins and trusting in Christ, then you have been given the spirit of God to indwell you at the moment of salvation. He is in and with you. In the Old Testament, the spirit was given to certain individuals. Again, remember, he is God. He has always been active. There was never a time where the Godhead ceased to exist in part or in whole. He has always been active. And so in the Old Testament, the understanding of the Spirit is given to certain individuals for certain tasks. The prophet, the priest, and the king were anointed with the Spirit. Now, they would symbolize that anointing with oil. But the, oil, the Spirit wasn't in the oil. It wasn't like, okay, you, you missed a drop, so you only got 89% of the Spirit because only 80, 85% of the oil got on you. That's not what it's saying. When, he, when they anointed these individuals, it was a symbolic representation of the Spirit of God coming upon them for this task, for this purpose, for this calling. This is why David cries out in his famous repentant psalm, Take not thy spirit from me. Why was David praying that? Because he was fearful. I've sinned. I've done wrong. And I'm fearful God's going to take his spirit from me. And if he takes his spirit from me, I can no longer do and please God as I want. And so we, in the church, we've sung songs where we'll sing that line, take not your spirit from me. The problem is the New Testament teaches that in the church, we are given the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation to indwell us, to be with us. We cannot lose the Spirit. Again, these are not my words. These are Paul's words. These are the words of God. In Christ, when we receive Christ, the Spirit takes up 
residence in us. Paul says that the Spirit's indwelling is evidence of our salvation in Christ. In the book of Acts, there are four moments of the Spirit being given, and each one matches the Great Commission, or a continuation, rather, of the Great Commission of Acts 1.8. So some will say, no, 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 no. We don't have the Spirit at the moment of salvation because in the book of Acts, you stumble across individuals that know about the gospel but never had the Spirit. And Paul had to ask them, do you even have the Spirit? And so what was he talking about there? Well, these individuals were not saved. They had not received Christ. There are some that were John the Baptist's disciples. And, and it, Paul comes across them. He starts talking to them. And they say, well, what baptism did you receive? And he said, they say, well, we received the baptism of John. And he begins to teach them. If you read the text, he begins to teach them of the Christ. And they didn't even know that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. They didn't know anything about that. And it's when they receive Christ that they're given the Spirit of God at the moment of salvation. What's interesting is there's four moments of this through the books of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to his apostles that you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When you read those four encounters that the apostle Paul has with these individuals, it matches exactly with that. The first to receive the Spirit on the day of Pentecost were the Jews. And then we read about those that were Samaritans. And then we read about those that were God-fearers. This would be um, Simon. And when Peter goes in Acts chapter 10, I believe. And then God-fearers are Gentiles who have converted to Judaism, but they weren't really quite considered Jews yet. They were still kind of second-class citizens, but they weren't as bad as straight Gentiles because they were God-fearers. And then we receive or understand that even Gentiles receive the Spirit, are saved by the same gospel, and so on. And so in the book of Acts, we see this kind of pattern unfolding, which reminds us we have to pay close attention to how we interpret the book of Acts. The book of Acts is considered a transition book. What does that mean? There are things that happen in the book of Acts under the establishment of the church that are not repeated in the rest of the New Testament. Some things are, some things are not. There's only one day of Pentecost recorded for us. There wasn't multiple of those. It's a historical event that took place in the foundation and transition from the law, the Old Testament covenant, to the church and the new covenant. So we have to remember we see things there in the book of Acts that are not repeated. And that's okay. We're fine with that because it only needed to happen once. And by the way, today, you're not going to bump into somebody that was baptized by John the Baptist, but didn't really know that Jesus rose from the dead. So it's hard to repeat that exact same situation. Do you see what I'm saying? And so we have to understand that's a transitional time. But remember, those individuals didn't know Christ yet. Once they received Christ, they received the Spirit. The Spirit indwelled them. The second thing we see the Spirit does for us carrying in the same idea of what we see in Acts and other places, is the Spirit baptizes us. We are baptized by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Next book over. So I won't give you the page number, but just keep turning towards the back of the New Testament. The Spirit indwells us, and we are baptized by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. For by one Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, are we all baptized into one body. Verse 13 continues. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, bond is another word for a servant or a slave, 
whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So this verse here is vital to us understanding what we mean when we say baptized in the spirit. This aspect of the spirit's ministry has caused some confusion around it, or has some confusion around it rather. But the Bible is very clear on this when we understand the text in the appropriate light. There are those who teach that the baptism of the spirit is called a second act of grace. That you receive Christ, you've even been indwelt with the spirit to some degree, but you need this second act, this second work of the spirit to baptize you. Some even go as far to say in some groups or teachings that that baptism is only signified by a certain gift of the spirit being demonstrated. In most cases, it's the gift of tongues. And so there are times where you're told as a Christian, yeah, you're saved, you're going to heaven when you die, but if you don't do this, if you don't get baptized in the spirit, then you basically can't serve Christ. You're not, you're not equipped. You're not, you're not strengthened to be able to do the things that God has called you to do as a follower of Christ. So you need this second act of grace, this second act of the spirit. And when that happens, all Christians who experience this will experience the exact same gift in demonstration of that. The problem with this is the Bible teaches very clearly that once you receive Christ and you are indwelt with the Spirit, you are then baptized into the body. The Bible teaches, number two, I believe the Bible teaches rather, clearly is it experienced, this baptism is experienced by all believers and places the believer into the body of Christ. The word baptized means to submerge, to plunge into. And what Paul teaches here in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. This is a picture of at the moment of salvation, I was outside the body of Christ. I was separated from God. And then I received Christ and now I'm baptized spiritually into the body of Christ. I am now a member of the body of Christ. I am a son, or in your case, a son or daughter in the body of Christ. I have a connection with the church. We are plunged into the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. If this baptism of the Spirit did not occur at the moment of salvation, you would have believers not connected to the body of Christ, unable to do the work of the ministry. This would also make Romans 8 a lie that if you have Christ, you have the Spirit. Now, some will say, well, you only have it in part, but that contradicts other scriptures. It is clear that this idea of baptism is not a second act of grace. It is not a second work of the Spirit. It is at the moment of salvation, I am indwelt with the Spirit, and I am baptized into the body of Christ by the work of the Spirit. All believers into one body. This also makes... Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, a reality. Our co-crucifixion and therefore our co-victory over sin in our lives. This would mean then that I could be saved if it wasn't happening at the moment of salvation. I could be saved, but not be part of the co-crucifixion and the co-victory over sin. That sin would still have power over me because I don't have the fullness of the Spirit to have victory over that sin. That I've not really been identified with the burial and the resurrection of Christ. Again, the scripture is clear on this. And I know we could spend weeks on each one of these points. So I, if, if you want to talk more about this, I would love to have a conversation with you about this. This is really, again, more of a summary of this idea. 
but I believe Scripture is clear. We are indwelt at the moment of salvation, and we are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. The Spirit is given to us also, number three, the Spirit is given to us also that we might be sealed, that we are sealed by the Spirit. So we are indwelled by the Spirit, baptized by the Spirit, and sealed by the Spirit. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. So 2 Corinthians is the next book, Galatians, and then Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 1. I pray with each one of these, you are praising the Lord for this. I, I don't want this to be one of those things we go to church, we get some head knowledge, and we leave going, okay, that was interesting. I hope that when you think about the reality that you are indwelt by the very Spirit of God, Paul says you are the temple of the living God. The Spirit is in you. That he has placed you into the body of Christ. That you may be able to do all that he calls you to do. That he has provided all you need in the indwelling and the baptism of the Spirit. That you might go and serve him and the glory of his kingdom. And I pray that more than just knowledge and information... That it's applied wisdom. By the way, this means when God calls me to do something, I don't, I don't get to say, oh, I can't do that. No, I'm not. I, uh, nope, sorry, I'm not equipped yet. I haven't, I haven't done enough this and prayed enough that. I, nope, sorry. We sound like what we've been studying on Wednesday nights, Moses in Exodus chapter 4. Well, I don't speak very well. You know, they're not going to believe that I'm even sent by you, God. God does all this revealing, all this teaching about, well, who made your mouth? And I'll, I'll speak for you, and I'll do this. And he goes, can you just send someone else, God? And I love that the Bible actually tells us God got angry. It says, he got angry at Moses. Now, that's how you know we're not God. Because we would have got angry, and we would have done something. We would have been like, come here, and smack him around for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just... I know you're like, did our pastor just say smack him around? We've all thought it. Okay. I've never done it, but there's been times you're like, Lord, just, just once, please come on. Okay. But we see these excuses. Guess what? In the church, in Christ, you don't have excuses. God has given you all you need in the indwelling and the placing you into the body of Christ. You have everything. And praise God you do, because guess what? It's all given freely as a gift, not earned, not deserved, not because you merited it or prayed enough or did enough. No, 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 no. It's all a work of grace. It's all a work of grace. The Spirit is given to us that we might be sealed. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 13. Ephesians 1 is also an amazing chapter that reveals the Trinity to us. But look at verse 13. In whom you also trusted. Now, this is referring to salvation that you have trusted. After that you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation. Let's pause there again. How does the Spirit do the work of salvation? Through gospel preaching from the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. For by faith, or faith came by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so Paul's reiterating this. It wasn't your work. The Spirit did this work in you. goes on to say this. In whom also after that ye believed, that's believing unto salvation, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That's you, that's me in Christ, unto the praise of his glory. Amen. 
Let's pause for a second. Why does he seal us? Why is this so vital to our understanding of our salvation? To the praise of his glory. Not, it's, it's not primarily for you. We're blessed by it. We, I mean, we are blessed that he seals us and we benefit from that greatly. And we can say, thank you, Lord, for blessing me this way. But the primary objective, according to Paul's words, is the glory of God on display. That he is faithful. Do you know why Jesus hasn't let you go? Because he's faithful to himself and to the Father. Do you know why God saved you in the first place? Because he's faithful to the Son. And the Spirit worked so that you might come to know Christ for the praise of his glory. So that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are magnified through all eternity in every age because they are faithful and true. And when Jesus said, I give unto you eternal life, he didn't mean until you mess it up. He meant, no, it's eternal life. The Spirit fills us and should bring us great joy. Another verse to look at in Ephesians quickly. And I purposely wanted to go to a handful of scriptures this morning so you might see that it is the Word of God that declares these truths. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 Ephesians 4 and verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit. Again, you can grieve him because he's a person. You can hurt his heart because he's a person in the sense of personified. He is a, he's like a person. He has emotion. It goes on there. It says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. What's Paul's point? You don't lose this until you are fully redeemed. And that means you're standing before Christ. Because once we're before Christ, we no longer need to be sealed. We're, we're delivered. The guarantee has been fulfilled. Notice that even those of us who have grieved the Spirit, we've disobeyed the Spirit's leading. The Spirit has opened our mind to something and we rejected it. We were reading a verse and we know we needed to repent of something. The Spirit makes it clear as only he can. Timothy tells us, Paul tells Timothy this, that the word of God was given to correct us and rebuke us and conform us to the things of Christ. We know what we need to do. We go, nope, not doing it. You're grieving the Spirit. The grieving the Spirit's moving in your life. But notice, those that grieve the Spirit are sealed. The grieving of the Spirit doesn't do away with the sealing. Well, nope, you grieved me five times today, so we're done. No more sealing. There's a max, right? Five sealings a day, no more than 20 in a week, whatever, right? It's, no, it's silliness. We're sealed. Even though we can grieve him, he doesn't let us go. And praise God for the sealing of the Spirit. Number two in your notes there under letter C. This work guarantees our salvation. This work guarantees our salvation. This is why we believe in what we call eternal security. Eternal security. Some, again, would teach, and it seems as though this is somewhat popular among certain denominations, but more and more I've heard people hint at this and even denominations that traditionally do not teach or hold to this view. Some again would teach that we can lose our salvation. However, the Bible clearly teaches that all true converts, all who have truly received Christ, have the Spirit and the Spirit seals all believers unto the day of redemption. Now, any text that you maybe have been told to by a friend, well, what about this verse? What about that verse? There's a couple of verses that seem to imply, when not understood in context, that teach loss of salvation. 
I would argue and suggest to you upon further study that those verses actually teach someone that claimed to be a follower of Christ but really never was. It's not somebody who had it and lost it. It's somebody who says they had it but never did. John tells us this. There were those who were with us who aren't with us anymore. They left us, but they were never really of us. What's he saying? There were those who came to church and they sat in the chairs and they sang the songs and they said amen and they had the Bible and they they knew all the scriptures. They could turn there real quick. They dominated in, in the sword drills when they were kids. They could just whip out those verses like no problem. But they're lost. They're like the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They have all the religious knowledge, all the the doing, the motions, and all the knowledge of that, but no relationship. And they go out from the church when the church starts teaching things that they don't like, but are true to God's word. They go out of the church when Christianity's message is no longer popular. It's not culturally convenient. Nope, I'm done. The Bible says that maybe they never actually knew Christ. I know that's hard to wrestle with. So take heart in this. It's not your job to determine whether they're saved or not. There's only one judge. There's only one. He will make the right judgment every time. And so what do we do? We preach the gospel that the spirit might work. But what if they profess to know the gospel, but they're living in a way that looks like they don't? We preach the gospel that the spirit might work. What if they know Christ, they're fully saved, but they're living in sin, they're backslidden in sin? We preach the gospel that the Spirit might work. Why? To remind them of what they have in Christ, and they don't need that stuff. And so, again, we we allow the Spirit to work. Do you see why it greatly matters what you believe about when, when the Spirit indwells and baptizes the believer? Our salvation is not by our doing. We are not kept by our doing, seeking, praying, or begging God to do this or that thing. All of it is a gift by the Father So what Jesus said is true in John chapter 6, verse 39, that all of which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again in the last day. Those that God has given to the Son in salvation, those that have professed faith in Christ, he will not lose one of them, and he will hold on to every one of them until the last day. So we are indwelt, baptized, sealed by the Spirit. Lastly, and quickly, that was for Vic. Uh, We are filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5. So you're already in chapter 4. Let's go to chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. We are filled by the Spirit. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I really wish I could unpack this a lot more this morning. So maybe I'll do something in in a future message. But the idea here basically is Paul's making a comparison between pagan worship and spirit-led worship. He says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. So many people go, well, you're not supposed to get drunk. That's what that verse means. Other people will say, well, in the same way that alcohol can influence our activities and our, you know, what we do and how we speak and all that, we give control of ourselves over to the alcohol. We should do the same thing, giving our control over to the spirit that he might lead us and guide us and control our activities and all those things. I understand that it, it fits in a way, but I would suggest possibly in application that might be true. But possibly what Paul's really saying here is because of the culture he's writing to in Ephesus with Gentile worship predominantly using alcohol in its worship services to the point of drunkenness and debauchery and all other kind of horrible things. And when you study scripture, you're going to find out never does scripture encourage drunkenness. Never. And in fact, 
the exact opposite is true, that only bad things come from drunkenness. There is never in Scripture a time where we see drunkenness referred to as a good thing. It's always referred to as foolishness. And by the way, I've never met a marriage that introduced drunkenness and it got better. I've only ever seen marriages introduce alcohol to the point of drunkenness and it got worse. I've never met people that sin the way they will sin when they allow alcohol to control them unto drunkenness. Because it's a, it's a vice. It, leads, it only leads to debauchery. So what Paul's saying here is don't worship in that way. Don't give in to those things. No, you have the spirit of God. Let him fill you. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. Paul has given an encouragement to the church to be filled with the Spirit. This is not the baptism of the Spirit. Some have suggested the two are the same. It is not. It is clearly different from Paul's teaching. This is, again, where some get the idea of a second act or following salvation. The filling that Paul talks about here is continual. As the original verb means, to to be filled means to keep on being filled. Basically, the Spirit's filling is a maturing of our relationship with Christ as we are continued to be made holy or sanctified. This is the spirit of God maturing us and growing us and strengthening us. Our relationship with Christ is to be mature, yet always maturing a relationship. It is to be mature, but always maturing relationship. We never stop growing. Quickly, characteristics of the spirit's filling. See this in your notes there, letter A. We see a Christ-like character. Characteristics of the Spirit's filling, a Christ-like character is produced. The fruit of the Spirit is able to be seen and manifested in our lives. Letter B, spreading the gospel is a result of the Spirit's filling. When the Spirit's filling is mentioned in the book of Acts, conversation, or conversions rather are always recorded. So Christ-like character, spreading the gospel. And lastly, We see a result of the Spirit's filling resulting in praise, worship, thanksgiving, and submissiveness. We actually see this in the text, Ephesians 5 and verse 19. Speaking to yourselves with one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Paul did not accidentally put those things right after he said, be filled with the Spirit. He was saying, when you are filled with the Spirit and allowed to continue to be filled with the Spirit, maturing in your relationship, these things will be evident in your life. And he also then moves into the passage on marriage. I've met a lot of people who says, well, the husband's, you know, why supposed to submit to the husband? Easy, tiger, calm down. Right before that, it says, submit one to another in the Lord. Then we see the marriage dynamic of a wife, a Christ-like wife, submitting to a Christ-like husband who loves her, his wife in a Christ-like way. So to any man that says, well, my wife's supposed to submit. Well, buddy, you're supposed to love her like Jesus did, so are you doing that? I heard it said before, every, every year a Christian woman is married to a Christian husband, she should feel like she's more and more married to Jesus. As a husband, that hits hard. I can tell you right now, that's not been the case. But I pray that God will continue to strengthen me to be able to do so as other Christian men are strengthened. This is more 
about giving ourselves to the Spirit's control and leading than it is about getting more of the Spirit of God because we receive all of him at the moment of salvation. So I want to praise the Lord this morning that we have been indwelled, sealed, baptized, and filled for the glory of God. He loves you so much. He doesn't leave you comfortless, but provides all we need Christ loves his church. Ephesians 5, if you continue to read through that passage, you're going to find out that Christ loves his church like a husband loves his wife, willing to do anything for her. And so I want us to think on that this morning, that idea of the the picture of marriage representing that Christ-like love for his church, his love for you. Uh, I'm very excited at this time in kind of lieu of an invitation. um, Gary Powell is going to come and sing for us this morning a song speaking to that reality of the Christ-like love that Christ has for his church is like that of a husband for his wife.